the Daily Rios for Thursday, November 29th, 2012. This is going to be another review episode where I'm going to take a look at a whole bunch of Marvel Now comics that I've read in order to catch up to this week. And it was a lot. A lot of comics. Wow, this double shipping thing. I, I just don't get it. So I have a lot of comments on a lot of different comics and also some tangents, some things I want to talk about in brief. But before we do all that, I thought I would dip into the feedback that everybody has been sending and pull out some feedback for the Marvel Now review episode that I did two weeks back. And I have just a couple comments here, and I thought, you know what, I'll just throw them right onto this episode. So first up, from Rebus. Uh, again, this is about uh, some Marvel Now reviews from previous episodes. He says, Your review prompted me to go out and get All New X-Men number 1 and Thor, God of Thunder number 1. Those were both titles that I really enjoyed, so apparently uh, that was enough prompting for Rebus to go out and buy those books. He continues, both were fantastic, Thor especially so. Just freaking gorgeous with an interesting story. That title is going in my hold slot. Forgive me if I'm misrepresenting you, but you had said something about critics not liking the color. I loved it. I wish more painted books would approach color like Dean White did. When colorists do the usual bit of turning an object by running a color through its values, the line gets lost in the darker values. I like this idea of turning an object through varying the temperature of a color. The artist's uh, beautiful line work isn't lost. X-Men is equally beautiful. However, I have a sense that the story can get bogged down and smothered under the weight of all the varying elements. This will be an issue-by-issue buy issue for me. I had read Fantastic Four before I heard your review. I'm lukewarm on it. The setup reminded me of a Roy Thomas and Rich Buckler story that I read in my youth. Also, Hickman's run was so good that, at least for me, I think there's going to be an inevitable letdown. Sure, it's not fair to Fraction, but what can I say? The last few one-and-done issues by Hickman were almost perfect comics. I have not read all of Hickman's run on Fantastic Four, and that's something I really should. I, I guess I read all the way through The Death of Johnny Storm and beyond that because I was reading... Uh, FF, Future Foundation, as well, for about the first five or six issues of that, when Hickman started that series. So I have the end of Hickman's run to read. But to his other comments um, about the coloring, it was one review that I read, and I, I believe I posted this wherever Rebus... Uh, he, he posted this on the f website, I think, or maybe the, the CGS forum thread I have. And he talked about the coloring. It was really just one review that said they thought... Um, that Dean White brightened up the the dark blacks and shadows that the artist probably threw down threw down in the book, and I I kind of felt that it was the opposite. It almost seemed like Dean White actually added a lot of those darker shadows. Uh, but yes, I agree. I, I also really liked uh, the artwork uh, and the coloring of that first issue of Thor. Um, and then uh, his comment about all new X Men getting bogged down under the weight of all the varying elements. Yes, I could see that. It's a, a large cast of characters and a lot of um, different themes that they're trying to, to push or different... Um, I mean, you have the whole thing of the current X-Men, current time X-Men, going up against Cyclops or, or just 
criticizing Cyclops' attempts to uh, find new mutants, and then you have Cyclops himself trying to find new mutants, although that'll probably play out in Bendis' other X-Men title, uh, Uncanny X-Men, with artist uh, Chris Pachalo. Uh, and then you have the new X-Men, and then you have coming in from the past, and then you have what's going on with Hank, all of which continues on into issue two this week. Different Marvel Now books with different approaches, and I think that's something that is going to be a con uh, continuous theme, especially this week. Uh, a lot of different, and I guess I should say last week too, because I didn't review those books. So I'm reviewing last week and this week. So uh, again, a lot of different books with the different with different goals. Some kind of jump right off of AVX. Some go completely uh, away from that, and other ones uh, kind of are in the middle. I guess you could say. Whirlwind Kevin has a comment and says, I think Wolverine and the X-Men has been the best X-Men title since the first issue. Fun, laugh-out-loud, funny, and darkness bubbling under the surface. I've been reading Iron Man for years because of the stories. The first Marvel Now issue seemed to be establishing characters. Future issues should be more imaginative since Karen, uh, Kieran Gillen is a good writer. Deadpool is on a watch list since I've heard enough good things. Maybe with the dead presidents, they thought it might get some of that Princess Diana uh, flack back from the dead, or clone famous people as teenagers doing questionable things on a cartoon clone high hype controversy. Uh, that Princess Diana was back from uh, X-Force, uh, the X-Force days with uh, Mike Allred on there. Uh, anyway, uh, great to hear your thoughts on Avengers Assemble and X-Men Legacy. I didn't have much interest in checking those out, but I can always go back if they turn out great. Fantastic Four was solid, but it didn't start with a bang. Like Iron Man, it seemed to be establishing who and what everything is a bit. I guess that's good for new readers. I just wonder about a bigger splash. Really need to read more than the first issue to see if the titles live up to, to their potential. I had no interest in buying a $4 X-Men comic by Bendis. I'll read it on Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited when it gets there. Thor seems to be the most well-reviewed Marvel Now title so far, but that doesn't really surprise me since it's by Jason Aaron, who also writes the already-mentioned Wolverine and the X-Men. He's showing good range. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for that uh, comment. I think overall, the creative talents on these books, and certainly with the hype that preceded all of this, the fact that some of them didn't come roaring right out of the gate across the board makes it understandable why I'm seeing a lot of middle-of-the-road feelings on a lot of these these issues than absolute raves on forums, on websites, reviews, etc. By no means do I think that means it's a bad venture. Not, it's way too early to even try to label it that. It just might take a bit longer for these titles to ramp up. Unfortunately, some of those titles, I might be gone by then. So I absolutely agree, you do need to read more than the first issue on a lot of these titles to see if the potential is there. However, as we're going to find out in my review of several books uh, from the past two weeks, I don't know that my patience is as strong uh, to last a story arc for some of this stuff. So having said that, let's jump in. Let's jump into... The Marvel Now books that came out last week, the week of November 21st, uh, that was last Wednesday, and the books that came out were Captain America, number one, 
uh, Indestructible Hulk number one. And then we also had Journey into Mystery 646, which I neglected to mention on New Comics Wednesday of last week. But that is the Marvel Now revamp of that title, so I decided to read that. Then we had Deadpool 2 and Iron Man 2. Those were the books that came out last week. So we'll start with the good. We'll start with uh, Captain America. This is Rick Remender with John Romita Jr. After almost eight years of Captain America under the helm of uh, Ed Brubaker, we are getting a very different Captain America comic in feel, perhaps even in art. I don't know. I've never, I, I really wasn't reading the Ed Brubaker stuff. Uh, and everything I read prior to this issue in terms of the hype for Captain America and a lot of the Marvel Now um, stuff that Marvel was putting out there, Rick Remender was a real, real big fan of Captain America as the superhero, and also uh, he read the Jack Kirby 70s Captain America, which is flat-out bonkers. It's, it's bombastic, it's high-concept, it's crazy, it's out there. Um, the whole Mad Bomb saga stuff. Uh, and he's taking the flavor of those comics, if not necessarily all the wackiness, because he feels that is the best way to get out from the shadow that Ed Brubaker laid down for the character over the past eight years. And I can understand that. As a writer, he wants to establish a tone that is his own and do something that um, he thinks he can really flex his muscles with. So I, I get it, you know. And uh, th this issue... Uh, sets the hero up in many ways. It, we, if you're a new reader, it kind of shows you a little bit of what makes him tick. It shows a little bit of his past. And when I mean past, I mean Steve Rogers as a child. Uh, it shows his current love interest. It, it plays out a lot of his, uh, some of his supporting cast. Um, what I liked about this first issue is, okay, so Captain America is a man out of time. And what Rick Remender is doing is putting him not only as a man out of time, but a man out of place. So it's kind of keeping with the character, in a way. He, he, he's kind of keeping Captain America in that same um, not-so-sure footing. What happens is um, Captain America, uh, as after this opening action sequence where we see him in action trying to defeat a character called the Green Skull, which is... a, a loose parody of the Red Skull, um, and you have to read it to, to find out why he's called the Green Green Skull. Uh, we see Steve Rogers with uh, his love interest, Sharon Carter. She all but proposes to him, and uh, he winds up on this weird train that exists under Manhattan, and he winds up disappearing, and it sends him to this di dimension called Dimension Z, which is run by Arnon Zola. I don't know if Dimension Z has ever been seen before. Again, not familiar with that concept, so I don't know if this is something new or something that has been established. Now, Arnon Zola, I know, and he looks great. J.R.J.R.'s design of him looks awesome. So, Captain America is in this other dimension, and again, this is pure just setup of the environment, of a new predicament for the Captain. It's not so much that it's some grand scheme. Arnim Zola just wants Cap 
to uh, create super soldier replicas of Captain America. And this whole Dimension Z is full of Zola henchmen that are weird looking and, and strange buildings. And again, it's a man out of place. It's a man not only out of time, but out of uh, environment, out of his setting. And putting a character that for a while has been set in the Marvel Universe in a very spy thriller, political thriller kind of concept, and throwing him into this, um, for lack of a better word, wackiness, this strange environment around him, and and it could make for some interesting stories. It's, it's not anything necessarily new. It's no different than seeing Captain America on the Secret Wars battle planet, almost. Um, it's, it's not in, you know, Captain America was turned into a wolf, right? So, I mean, there isn't anything more zany that you can do with the character beyond that. Uh, so, I, I dug it. It's, it's not anything great. It's just a setup issue. And it's, but in the grand scheme of the other Marvel Now titles, it kind of falls along where I thought Fantastic Four fell. You know, a setup issue that we have to see where it goes from there. Uh, but enjoyable, an enjoyable read from some some comic creators who have a good command of craft. And uh, I, I dug it. I dug it. I really did. I think the potential for stories outside of the norm, outside of maybe readers' comfort zones, could be a good thing. I like the artwork. I like the Dean White coloring. Um, I've read a few JRJR interviews, John Romita Jr. interviews. He did talk about... I guess Tom Palmer is doing breakdowns for JRJR on Hit Girl, and although he's not listed in the credits for Captain America, it almost felt like in one of the interviews that JRJR basically said that Tom Palmer is doing the same thing for this issue. Maybe I might have read it wrong, uh, which I find interesting. I didn't realize he was using someone to do breakdowns for his artwork. I've seen some mixed reviews on the artwork, so maybe that might add something to it. A few of the things I found interesting about this first issue, uh, they mentioned 4th of July, which would place this book slightly in the future, maybe perhaps after everything that's going on in Uncanny Avengers uh, or in Avengers itself, which is coming out by Jerome uh, Peña on art and Jonathan Hickman. So uh, maybe that's how they get away with Captain America being in this alternate dimension is because this title actually takes place a bit in the future, a couple of months down the road. Rick Remender said this is going to be about a 10-issue story arc, so that's a long time to have your character out of the Marvel Universe. Along with the reviews I read of the book, the majority of, it, of those reviews liked it, liked the concept, a uh, little bit back and forth on the artwork, uh, liked that it's back to being superheroes after almost eight years of espionage stuff. Um, and and mainly just that it's nice to be promised a change or a new direction and have it actually deliver, which is awesome. Again, a few things people I saw some people say Cap feels out of place in this kind of environment. You know, it's it's funny. It's I I really don't feel it's all that different than say, I mean, even the concept of the character, right? Pulling him out of the '40s into the 2000s when he wakes up and he's a man out of time, right? There's a reason why in the Captain America movie, when he wakes up, they throw Steve Rogers in the middle of Times Square, right? The lights, the craziness, the commercials, the giant billboards, the commerciality of it all, the tech. If someone with a 1940s mentality suddenly popped into our time 
in the middle of Times Square and saw Lady Gaga and Nicki Minaj and Marilyn Manson. Yeah, you know what? They probably would think they were captured by Arnim Zola too, right? So, so I kind of get it. I, I kind of get it, and I, I understand why Rick Remender's doing it with the character, and I, I kind of appreciate that. So Captain America gets uh, a recommendation from me uh, in terms of... Um, where it falls in, in the grand scheme of all the other Marvel Now books. Like I said, somewhere around what I liked about Fantastic Four. kind of lives there. Now, the next book, Hulk, Indestructible Hulk, number one, by Mark Wade, Lionel Francis Yu, and Sonny Goh on colors. Sonny, Sonny Goh was a colorist uh, on the Artifact series from Top Cow. I think that's where I first sort of discovered him, uh, or where I first read of his work. And I think he adds a lot to this book. Uh, I really do. Um... This book, you know, first let's talk about Mark Wade's infatuation with the prefix in. Incorruptible, insufferable, and now indestructible. Hell, he even wrote a book called Incredibles. Uh, and I guess he also did a book called Irredeemable, which is kind of the same thing. Uh, and now I know I read an article that said that he was not in charge with coming up with a new adjective, changing it from invincible or... Uh, incredible to um, indestructible, but it it was it kind of whenever I read a Mark Wade book now that that prefix kind of keeps coming back, and in the dialogue it even came back in this book, and and I'll I'll show you where uh, it does in in some of these book in some of the uh, pages, which again this it just kind of struck me funny. Anyway, uh, I really liked this issue, I really did. And for a number of reasons. First off, for Mark Wade, I enjoyed Wade a lot in the '90s, and and was I thought he was uh, the the kind of writer who really used the concepts of a universe very well, whether it was DC or Marvel. But then in the late in the 2000s, I don't know, it, it just kind of fell away, and I thought his work started to feel a little too old school in light of what else was going on with other writers, newer writers at that time. He felt a little too old school and felt like he wasn't keeping up with um, where comics were going, almost as if Wade was being lapped by the newer writers. Uh, much in the way that I think, uh, when I think about Kurt Busiek, right? It's kind, of, it's kind of old school. It doesn't have a current voice. But obviously Mark Wade has proved himself on Daredevil. I haven't read it, but everything I've read about the book I fully understand that it's it's Mark Wade at the top of his game, and it's really choice stuff, and he's trying new things, and but yet capturing what makes Daredevil great. And I I really believe that he's going to do that with Hulk as well. Maybe it won't be such the critical darling that Daredevil is, and I don't think indie people are going to jump onto Hulk the way they sort of latched onto Daredevil. But I I do believe that this Hulk book could be really. Um, in my eyes, anyway, a sort of reestablishing of Mark Wade as a great writer. Um, I think he'll brush off some of the staleness that he's had for me in my mind over the past couple years. And some of these stories that 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 he's coming up with, or some of the the questions and mysteries of this issue, um, have a lot of potential. It really does. The other reason why I like this book, there's a, a school of thought out there that says that Hulk works best uh, when he's not in his own title. And when he, when he is the title character, it can be a lot of the same old thing, right? He he 
is put into a predicament. He hulks out. Something happens. He runs. There's a battle, and then he runs away. And then it's wash, rinse, repeat. But with this this issue, it's almost like Mark Wade is. It's almost like Hulk is still that secondary character, the way some people like to to read about him, but yet in his own book. I guess you have to read it to sort of understand what I mean, and and I'll try to talk a little bit more about it. The premise is that instead of constantly being on the run, specifically from S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, or for, for, from some other agencies, Bruce Banner finally decides, uh, and, and has an epiphany, as he calls it, that there is no way to cure the Hulk. He is incurable uh, from trying to remove the Hulk from his presence. So instead of treating it like that as a disease why not treat it as a weapon or or as something that he can aim right he he uses the word cannon right let's use hulk as a cannon so his his uh proposition for shield particularly maria hill is i will work for shield i will create new things as bruce banner i i am a uh, one of the foremost scientists on the planet uh, you know, and he's and he's a little pissed that Tony Stark and Reed Richards always get the hero's welcome, and Bruce Banner, the only thing he'll be remembered for is being the Hulk. And he says, no, I had enough of that. I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to help create and develop stuff, and I'm going to use your resources and the government's resources to do this, and in exchange for that, you're going to have the Hulk to go take care of missions that, uh, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. just isn't capable of taking care of. And instead of making him a rampaging creature and always coming in and cleaning up after him, you're going to direct him to where he is needed the most. And I kind of dug it. And they, they even show one little example as he goes up against the Mad Thinker. Uh, and it kind of worked for me. I, it really did. I like the opening scene where all this is laid out. I don't necessarily know if this idea is all, all that original. But there were some interesting tension being built, especially with the artwork of the way uh, Lionel Francis Yu was laying out everything, uh, focusing on a clock on the wall. They were in a diner. Uh, Bruce Banner would get bumped into because somebody was walking by him and, and Maria Hill would freak out. And then there was a loud noise because somebody dropped some trays or some dishes. And again, Maria Hill was just looking at Banner thinking, okay, is this where he's going to freak out? Is this where he's going to hulk out? Um, can this is this too good to be true? The opening scene was great. It just had some uh, amazing pacing, and if you if you really give over to it and just read it and and not just sort of gloss over it all, you know, take your time. You you see little things that Wade I'm sure wants you to savor. And then, as I said, the second half is Banner putting this to the test, giving Maria Hill an example of what he means, and they go after Mad Thinker. Uh, who is trying to, uh, who just has some equipment that, he, you know, he, he fully expects S.H.I.E.L.D. to go after him, but he doesn't expect Hulk to go after him. And uh, the Hulk obviously stops Man-Thinker's plans, and, and, and then it ends with Maria Hill saying, uh, you, you, have a, you have a deal. Great issue. I really, really liked it. And this is, for me, right up there with Thor... Uh, right up there with uh, all new X-Men. Um, I'm digging it. I really am. Uh, I like the artwork. I read a few reviews, just a handful, not many, but I read a few that kind of critiqued 
Lionel Francis use artwork, uh, which I, I didn't quite understand. Uh, some of the comments that I saw the most were they were a little confused of why he was taking his characters and his art outside of the panel borders. You know, characters sort of floating on the page with no real specific panel that they belong to. To which I say, it's a comic book. Artwork can be that way. And I think it was very deliberate. You know, there's one page where Maria Hill is kind of floating while she's watching the Hulk go up against uh, Mad Thinker and his all his technology. And she's kind of floating on every on the page and not really in any specific panel. And I I think that's deliberate, right? Because she's she's witness to the action. So instead of drawing her four other times and four other panels on the same page, you just draw her once, connect her to every panel, and boom, she is right there as part of the action. I love it when artists do that. I I love Lionel Francis use artwork in this book is um, different. Uh, it has a looseness to it, not quite the same looseness that he had in Secret Invasion, uh, but uh, it works for me. Uh, the opening scene in the diner, all the characters, all the people in the background, the waitresses and the families and the truckers all have different body shapes, and the first establishing shot of the diner is from this sort of upper camera angle looking down, uh, and it works, and and... There, when the Hulk first shows up in this great double-page spread, I, li I, I really did. I, I kind of looked at it and went, whoa, it's, it's a great moment. It's a great use of a double-page spread. Uh, when he's fighting Mad Thinker as the Hulk, he's kind of fluid. It's a little, there's a fluidness to it. It almost kind of reminded me of um, J.H. Williams. The way J.H. Williams likes to break down and be experimental with his pages. Say say on something like Batwoman, right? That is, some people don't, maybe some people don't like it, but I find it, um, I, I just love it. I love when artists play with the page like that and, and they sort of remind themselves and remind readers that this is a comic book and it doesn't have to be boring, flat, rectangle panels and, and just, it doesn't have to look like storyboards. It can look like its own thing. And I think that's what he's doing here. So I think it's kudos to Lionel Francis Hugh, and I hope he can keep up the, the, the pace with it. So back to Mark Wade's infatuation with the prefix in. <laughs> there were a couple of things that came up in the dialogue. One, during the proposition between Maria Hill and uh, Bruce Banner, he has backup. He has backup for this deal, that it, should anything go wrong or should that shield, uh, should they prison him or something, imprison him or something like that. He has backup. It's basically blackmail. And he shows it to Maria, Maria Hill. We don't see it. but it, And then he shows a picture of an individual and says, if I don't check in with this person, they're going to know and they're going to release all this uh, information. And I guess she calls it blackmail and he calls it insurance. Get it, right? That's stretching it, but he's, he's calling it ins insurance. And then when she sees whoever that is, that person is that Bruce Banner is checking into, uh, she says, inspired. Oh, there it is again. And then uh, the Hulk is fighting um, Mad Thinker, and Mad Thinker is like sort of spitting out all these calculations and saying, look, you know, your strength is just, is, is just based on equations, and I can fight you using that. But then as he's trying to calculate and calculate, he suddenly breaks down and he says, your strength, it's, it's, incalculable. Again, 
in. And then there's Bruce Banner saying, you know, his condition as the Hulk, it's incurable. I don't know. It just seemed to pop out a lot in the dialogue. And I, I don't even mean some of those are, I'm just being sort of sarcastic with. But some of them were in their own specific word balloon. So clearly he was using that. And maybe that's a play on the title, Indestructible. And if so, it's clever. I get it. You know, it's fun. It's clever. I'm not necessarily denouncing it, but uh, it was kind of interesting. Some other notes here. Chris Iliopoulos on lettering is channeling a lot of his inner John Workman, especially uh, during Walt Simonson's Thor with his sound effect designs. There were some really great, uh, big, large, blocky lettering that was fun to see. Mark Wade claims that he made this pitch before seeing the Avengers movie, but there's an obvious Tony Stark, Bruce Banner um, rivalry going on, which is, you know, pulled from Avengers. It's happening over in Avengers Assemble, and then it's happening in this book as well. Uh, you know, the whole thing where Bruce Banner is saying, I'm just as smart as Tony Stark, but he gets all the fame and glory, blah, blah, blah. So uh, that was kind of nice to see. Um, what else? There was a shot of Thinker the first time we see him, and he was in the Thinker pose, that famous Rodin statue. And he was actually in the Thinker pose, which was kind of cute. I liked the frenetic artwork of the battle between Thinker and Hulk. There was a page where Hulk gets blasted and his face is like being... His face, even, you, you feel the blast on his face. Even his upper lip kind of is like flying away from his mouth. Just a little thing, but it added a lot to, added a lot to that panel. So I'm in. I'm in on this book. I'm going to keep reading it. I want to read where it goes. The The... This is obviously set up in premise, but we we know what the premise is. We we really know all the ins and outs, for the most part. And now it's just, let's put it all into example. So I think that's going to be the fun of later issues. Um, one, I guess the way Mark Wade described it is uh, Hulk smashes and Banner creates, or something like that. So, uh, I'm in. I'm in. Uh, I really did like this issue, and I, I think the potential is there. It could all be very interesting. Get it? Haha. All right. <laughs> Let's continue. Of the other books from this week, Journey into Mystery 646, Deadpool 2, Iron Man 2, I don't really have much to say about them at all. Uh, Journey into Mystery, Catherine Immonen is the writer. Valerio uh, Schitti is the artist. And the art is very good on Journey into Mystery. I actually like it a lot. There's this full-page spread of Sif, Lady Sif. Journey into Mystery is about Lady Sif now, uh, instead of Loki. There's a full-page spread of her writing a, well, it's a tom-tom, for lack of a better description. <laughs> uh, that's really good. Uh, there's some really nice character design. Uh, not only Sif's costume, but there's this old warrior woman that she invokes that kind of looks like a demonic Valkyrie. Uh, that I really like the, the, the artwork on that. So the artwork is really good. The setup needed a lot of work. There's a lot of information that um, Catherine Immonen is thinking the reader probably already knows, and we, we probably should have gotten a little more exposition here and there. In fact, the previous page, the page that has the, the credit box and is supposed to have that little Marvel paragraph paragraph blurb that tells you what the character or team is about, right? Didn't really have anything. It it kind of was too cute. It it was kind of too Journey into Mystery-esque from the Loki days, and it really should have set up the, the premise. 
for one, I totally didn't know that Asgard was still floating above um, Broxton, Oklahoma, I guess it is. And, and even though they mention Broxton in the dialogue, it's not in a way that I think helps the reader sort of suggest that it's it's still that way from the JMS uh, Thor days. I thought by now Asgard was back to where it should be, but I, I guess not. Um, I don't know. The story was about... Sif feeling like she's lost, like she needs something more in her life. She needs to be a better warrior. She reads some story about these warriors in the past that had a berserker frenzy that, that no one could stop. So she has this incantation um, that she gets from a dragon, and she brings up one of these warrior women, and and sure enough, the, through something, she Sif gets this sort of, I don't know, whatever it is that the warrior woman has, and, and it ends with a cliffhanger of Sif uh, probably going off the deep end, I guess you could say. I don't know. The, it was funny. There's one scene that kind of sums up the book for me. Um, when Sif is doing the incantation, and she's talking in Asgardian language and English, she's also going blah, blah, blah. And uh, I sacrificed this to the blah, blah, blah of the blah, 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 blah. And I'm, you know what? I was like, that's what I felt like reading the book. There was so much dialogue, and I just, by the end of it, was like, blah, 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 blah. So this one, I don't know. Maybe I'll read another issue to see. But I, I consider this down, for me, down where Red She-Hulk lives, where it's, it's a story that needed a lot more oomph to it. And then Deadpool 2 and Iron Man 2, the second issues of those two titles, I didn't give them high marks to begin with on the first issues. I don't give them high marks on the second issues either. I think Deadpool is becoming now a waste of money. Um, I'm not feeling the Tony Moore art. I read a few reviews. Someone gave it 4.5 stars out of 5. Another person gave it 8 out of 10. I'm not even going to try to attempt to discredit those reviewers. If they like it, you know what? More power to them. Me, I am done. I'm done with that book. About the only joke that I felt landed in the second issue is when Deadpool meets uh, a, the ghost of Ben Franklin, and there's this S.H.I.E.L.D. agent that hired Deadpool to to look into why all these dead presidents are, are being resurrected. And the, the S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, her name is Preston, and she's, and she's an African-American. And Benjamin Franklin sees her and says, Hey, Deadpool... Ask her if she has any founding father in her. And I was like, whoa. Yow. Now, it doesn't offend me, but I don't... That one was a little bit of a stretch. It sort of came out of nowhere, considering that all the other jokes are very, very PG, if not G. And I thought that joke uh, felt very out of place. It was just weird. I don't know. I don't get it. Uh, that book sucks. I, I can't read it anymore. So, uh, I'm out with Deadpool. Um, Iron Man 2, again, wow, god, this, this story, it has Tony going up against, uh, this nation, um, where Silver Sable is from, Sim, Simcaria or something like that, uh, and it has him going up against these, these people in, in, in other, um, not quite Iron Man suits, but in other armored suits, and, uh, it's a bet, and if Iron Man loses, they get something, and if Iron Man wins, he gets something. I don't know, blah, blah, blah. I just was, I couldn't get into it. It was so such a long read for basically no point. And then in the back pages, uh, the writer, Karen Gillan, talks about how 
when he was writing Journey into Mystery, he he had a plan, and he he knew what the last issue of that of of his issue, the last page of his issue was going to be from the get go, and that he had it all planned out, and it was sort of this you know through line that he could follow. And on this issue, he's improvising and. I mean, on this title, he's improvising and not... He doesn't have a grandmaster plan, but he has some ideas and he's sort of bouncing all along. And I want to go, wow, you really need a plan because I am not digging this uh, looseness. This issue-to-by-issue build-up is just not doing it for me. And then there's just the simple thing that in the first issue, uh, they make a big deal about Tony Stark shaving his mustache to make him... Um, uh, almost be invisible to people that know him, right? You shave off the mustache and the goatee, and nobody knows what he looks like. And he has a mustache and goatee. And I don't think it's that much later that it all grew back again. Very weird. I will say this about double shipping. You know, both of these books obviously double shipped this month. It sure makes it easier to drop them even faster than having to wait three or four months, right, for three or four issues. With getting two issues in a month... Wow, it makes my decision to to drop these books much easier uh, because I get to read two issues that I just uh, I just did not enjoy. So maybe that's a, a plus for double shipping. <laughs> I don't I don't know. Now there's uh, a couple things here that I noticed from that week's uh, release of Marvel Now books. Um, firstly, I did buy the new previews. This would be the December previews for books shipping mostly in February. And I happened to flip through and saw that Iron Man issue 6 in previews is claiming an all-new bold direction. And I was like, really? Five issues and we're already getting a new direction for the book? Now, it's because it's supposed to tie in with what's going to be going on with Guardians of the Galaxy. Iron Man as a character is joining Guardians of the Galaxy by Bendis and Steve McNiven, so I guess they're trying to reflect that in the Iron Man title itself, that he'll be out in space. So then I just want to go, hey, just, I don't know, you know, they, they talked about this long plan, and obviously with Iron Man they're not sticking to it, because suddenly now there's a bold new direction with issue six. Oh boy. Now the other thing I noticed, not only in that previews, and I'll talk about it whenever I do previews, but I want to talk about it here as well, is that Marvel is now doing their collections not based on six-issue runs, but based on five-issue runs. In that new previews, there's a hardcover for all new X-Men uh, for the collection, for the new Marvel Now collector already having a trade solicit, and only the second issue is out. Um, and they're only collecting five issues for something like $24.99 for a hardcover. It's something like that. And then I went back, and, and sure enough, Iron Man, this story arc is called Believe. It's five issues. In issue two, it says two of five. With Journey into Mystery 646, the title, the arc is called Stranger Than Monsters, and it's part one of five. Rick Remender said his Captain America Dimension X stuff is ten issues, which is, you know, a multiple of five. So, uh, and then you go on to the books from this week, from November of 28th, and Thor, the God Butcher storyline, is five issues. So, is that what Marvel's doing? Are, are they trying to earn money that they might be losing on people who are dropping because of double shipping or higher books or maybe because of they're buying digital and they're not making enough profit? I don't know. That they're suddenly going to go now with collections that are 
five issues? Who wants a five-issue collection? You trade waiters, man. I don't know how you do it. I think you're getting screwed big time. So, yeah. This, uh, this is going to be interesting to see if any other of these Marvel Now title books come out. And, and all they are are five-issue runs. So they can collect them in five-issue collections. Collections. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. All right. Let's jump to books from this week. This would be a uh, release of November 28th. Uh, the books were FF number one, Future Foundation number one, Uncanny Avengers two, X Men Legacy two, Thor two, and all new X Men two. So FF one, Matt Fraction, Mike Allred. You know what? Another book I liked, uh, along the lines of Fantastic Four and along the lines of Captain America. Nothing totally earth shattering. Not anything sort of new in its direction. And not anything that's quite at the level of Matt Fraction that I want to read, but good enough to continue. Right off the heels of Fantastic Four, Reed Richards approaches Scott Lang, Ant-Man, and says, Hey, we're going to be gone for four minutes, your time. We'll be gone a year, our time, but four minutes, your time. Can you look after the Future Foundation for me? And he wanted to ask Scott Lang, because Scott Lang is the father of, what was her name, Stature? or something like that, I forget, Giantess, or whatever her name was in, in Young Avengers that was killed in the, uh, the Children's Crusade. Um, because he's a father who has lost a, a child, he thought maybe staying behind and, and taking care of the kids of the Future Foundation, that might help him out a little bit, but also because of his scientific brain and all that. He asks Ant-Man to lead a team uh, of, of replacement Fantastic Four and also take uh, a watch and look after the Future Foundation. And Ant-Man is a little, you know, hesitant at first, but eventually um, he gives in. And there's this neat narrative device, this neat writing device, where throughout the book you're getting these little interludes of the kids of Future Foundation talking about not only themselves, but what the Foundation means and how they can help the society as a whole. So you're introduced to the characters, number one. You're introduced to Valeria and Franklin Richards, and then in another panel, you're, or another page, you see um, Bentley, which is a younger clone of the Fantastic Four, Four villain known as the Wizard. And um, Bentley is um, friends with, or I guess there's the android Dragon Man that kind of watches over Bentley. So you're introduced to them. Then there's another page with one of the members of Power Pack, um, Alex, who is sitting there with uh, Leech and Artie from the old X-Factor days. So you're, you're seeing all these interludes and you're not quite sure how they play out until the end where Scott Lang finally agrees to watch over everybody and the very last couple panels he says, all right, uh, Future Foundation kids, tell me who you are, why you are, and how you can help the future. So then you sort of want to go back to the beginning again and read all those, those again, and they kind of makes a little more sense. It's a, it's a good narrative device. It's not anything new or original, but I, I liked it. It made the book go full, full circle, connecting the end to the beginning, and uh, it was a simple device, yet effective. I like the Mike Allred artwork. I like the quirkiness of it. Um, I learned a little bit more about the Marvel Universe, uh, especially that uh, Medusa and Black Bolt has, have a child. In fact, that's been around for a long time in the Marvel Universe, but then it was forgotten about, and then it was brought back. So I didn't know that. That was nice to learn. So yeah, I, I liked it. Not much more I can say other than I liked FF number one, and I'll, I'll read a few more issues of, uh, issues of that. 
Then we get to Uncanny Avengers number two, which was delayed a couple weeks. Uh, I It's okay. Red Skull has Scarlet Witch and Rogue uh, captured. They escape. They find Professor X's dead mutilated body, which kind of hits Rogue pretty hard. Um, that was okay. You see a little bit more with Havoc and, and Wolverine and Cap, and Wolverine sort of questioning whether Havoc is a good choice to run this team. Um, Captain America spouting out all these things of what the mutant kind needs and what the mutant populace needs and how they're all, you know, it's, it's kind of weird to hear it coming from Captain America. Wolverine should have, there should have been a line, and there kind of almost was, uh, where Wolverine says, really, Cap, you're going to try to tell me what mutant kind needs? Um... It was okay. I, I really don't have much to say about Uncanny Avengers 2. I don't have much to say about X-Men Legacy 2. It's a continuation of that story where David, um, last issue, because of the death of his father, he sort of lost control of this prison that he built in his mind for all of the personalities that live in his brain. And he lost control, and in this issue, it's pretty much he's just getting control back again. And he finds a reason why... And it's going to go from there. I, It's not a horrible issue. It's just, I don't know, I'm not interested in reading it. Which leads us to Thor number two and All New X-Men number two. Two books that I also really liked uh, for their first issues. And I like for their second issues as well. I, thought, I think Thor is really good work. Uh, both writing and the artwork is beautiful. Wow. Uh, I gotta find more Isad Rubik's work because I'm really enjoying it. There's a whole battle sequence between um, past Thor, because remember, this this book is exploring three different Thors. Thor's a very young Thor before he has Mjolnir, uh, present-day Thor, and future Thor, who looks very much like Odin. And past Thor finally comes face-to-face -face with the God Butcher, and there's this long battle and against it, Thor is telling a story about his youth and how he discovered the difference between war and murder. And it's all kind of wrapped up into this God Butcher character. And it's, it's a very nice sequence. It's well done. It's well paced. The fight scene is well orchestrated. The, the writing is good. The, the, the intensity is there. Um, I really like this Thor book. I really do. And the premise of this God Butcher is something that I've even thought about uh, in years past um, in my own universe of characters. Uh, there's something very interesting about a, a, a slayer of gods. And uh, it's not anything necessarily totally new, especially in, in, in mythology. But the way Jason Aaron is handling it, I dig it. I really dig this story. It's creepy. It's beautiful. It's interesting. I like all the different settings, and apparently from what I read um, in the, I guess it was the back matter of this book, is that's something that Jason Aaron is going to use throughout his run. He's going to constantly go back and backwards and forwards with Thor, and you're going to see a Thor from all different um, different eras, and, and which means different experiences and different um, thoughts and ideas about how to be a god, about how to be a... How to, how to relate to whatever is going on around him. So I dig it. I really do. And then all new X-Men 2, continuing on with uh, bringing the original X-Men, the original Fab Five X-Men to the present day. 
to try to take care of what's going on with Cyclops. Uh, that's rolling along, and um, I, I again, I, I really like it. I like the artwork. It's a much more emotional story than it is um, story development. And what I mean by that is the story is developing more because of the dialogue and because of the interplay between the characters than it is anything than, that they're really doing at this point. After two issues, not much is happening, but there is a lot going on with uh, the soap opera-ness of, of, of this setup. Um, Present-day X-Men meeting with the past X-Men, Wolverine, Wolverine and his reaction to it all, Bobby meeting Bobby, which was fun, Hank, past Hank, kind of understanding what present-day Hank is going through. Um, the the, the present-day Hank actually collapses because of his uh, mutation that's slowly killing him. Uh, we get a little bit of development on that. Uh, we, we find out, um, or I should say, we see the the past X-Men kind of seeing this new world and not believing what is going on, but yet discovering new things about themselves and their powers and, and, and about their present-day selves. So I, I did. I really liked it. I liked this continuation. Um, I'm, I'm all primed and ready for, for, to read more, and I'm kind of jonesing to see what he does with Uncanny X-Men. I mean, right now, Bendis, this is one side of the story that Bendis is giving us. And now, with Uncanny X-Men, we'll get the other side. We'll get Cyclops and his crew, uh, and we'll get Bendis' uh, flavor and style on that. So those two books, um, I'm, I'm glad I, I waited till the end to read them, because uh, I'm digging it. So that's it. That's it for this past two weeks. I think as we go on, as these issues mature and age, and we get more later issues... Um, of certain titles. I don't think I'll spend so much time on issues three and four and five and six. I'll probably just say I'm reading it or I'm not reading it. Um, but I'll try to always focus on the first issue, at least, of a new title. We have plenty more coming. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I'll probably wrap up some reviews in, uh, but, but in other review episodes that maybe I'll be talking about other things, not just Marvel Now. Or I'll just give general thoughts and say, hey, I'm still reading this title. But unless something really stands out, I'll, I'll, probably, be, I'll probably go lighter on my reviews for later issues. Now, I did get uh, a tweet from on Tumblr. Not a tweet. Uh, a message through Tumblr. And it was anonymous. And they said, hey, what did you think of Amazing Spider-Man 698? And the lead-up to issue 700. And my reply to that is... Uh, although I read Amazing Spider-Man 698, I am not interested in where that's going. Um, I think the whole thing going leading up to that issue, there was a lot of hucksterism going on with it, and it kind of turns me off. And I, I'm not all that impressed with the reveal of 698. Um, I won't say too much about it, but um, I don't know. It feels a little bit like a riff on having only read one issue... I know, I know, It's i got to wait to see where it goes. But having read only that one issue, I don't know. I, I think Craven's Last Hunt did it better. That's really all I can say about it. I, I don't know. I don't want to... Uh, it, it really doesn't interest me. I'll say that. All right, that's my review episode for Marvel Now. As more issues come out, I will continue with reviews. If you have any feedback, drop it on the website, thedailyreels.com, or send me an email, peter at thedailyreels.com. I will talk to you tomorrow.